Our episode today is brought to you by Cathode Ray Media. Cathode Ray is a full-service marketing agency that connects government organizations to their communities. Visit cathoderay.com, that's K-A-T-H-O-D-E-R-A-Y.com to learn more or ask for a free no-obligation consultation. Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, depending on where you might be. This is Dane Carlson, and you're listening to the Econ Dev Show. What's your downtown like? As a county economic developer, I look out over a number of different cities with a diverse array of downtowns. Some are vibrant and beautiful, and tourist destinations. Others are transitioning and improving with city dollars and commercial reinvestment with new stores, new facades, new lighting, new life. Some suburban cities, like my own, to their shame, don't really even have downtowns. But still others are shells of their former selves, empty storefronts, faded signs, broken sidewalks, places that you don't go after dark, not because they're dangerous per se, but because there's no reason to do so. Our guest today, Alana Pruce, is here to talk about her book, Recast Your City, How to Save Your Downtown with Small-Scale Manufacturing. Ilana led the Technical Assistance Program at the U.S. EPA Smart Growth Program and was the Vice President and Chief of Staff at Smart Growth America. Her firm, Recast City, works with local leaders to help create great places. Ilana, welcome to the show. My pleasure to be here. Oh, good. I guess let's dive in. What is, in your definition, what is small-scale manufacturing? Great place to start, always. So small-scale manufacturing is a business sector that includes any business that creates a tangible product. So my shorthand for it is hot sauce, handbags, and hardware. It's everything from the one-person artisan who is going to sell at a market on the weekends to advanced manufacturing to food products that are getting bottled and packaged and sort of everything in between. Um, And they're a really exciting business type because they can both work in our storefronts, think about a consumer product that you you could walk in and see something being made and how cool that feels. Um, But it also gives that business an interesting opportunity to both sell online, which most of these businesses are native online e-commerce businesses, um, but also sell in person and bring energy to a storefront. Um, And they're a great opportunity for people to build businesses where um, we may not have had access before. So it's a very inclusive opportunity to build up our business community. So things that are physical products as opposed to services, as opposed to, you know, purely digital services or uh, um, consulting services or or something like a more blue collar, like a plumber or a, right. Okay. That makes sense. And you and I talked last year in, in May, I think, and, you know, COVID had just sort of uh, run out of people to infect in New York City at the time. And, you know, the rest of the country was sort of wondering what's going to happen. We were looking at the small businesses, you know, in our communities, and we were saying, you know, this could potentially be, you know, completely devastating. Um, We have no idea what to expect. Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Um, 
but you were already talking about the kinds of issues that you address in your book. So what was the genesis of this idea? Because I'm assuming you didn't, although the book is very timely and the book uh, speaks to a lot of uh, relevant issues right now, I'm assuming that you didn't start writing it, you know, last month. So what was the origin? What's the genesis of the book? The genesis of the book is, is really my entire career, for lack of a shorter way of saying it. Um, I have worked with local governments and with community leaders um, for a really long time, let's put it that way. And um, one of the things that I've always focused on is the, the, the small p politics of implementation. How do we get places to do the stuff that we know they need to do to reinvest in downtown to create housing options and transportation options? That's, that community development for the people in the community has always been the focus of my work. And, and I've always focused on how do we make great places for more people. Um, when I started Recast City, uh, seven years ago now, I took all of that and looked at it through this lens of um, what kind of small businesses or what kind of businesses make the biggest difference for our community so that we have a resilient community, so a resilient economy, so it's inclusive, um, so that more people are benefiting from it. And through a series of research that I did, I really landed on small scale manufacturing as this both this hidden gem that was in every community, but also a missing piece in terms of the solution. And so the book is, is really an expression, it's honestly a labor of love for me, of, of all of those different experiences wrapped up into a DIY how-to um, book that is uh, written, I wrote it very specifically in, in super accessible, not wonky language, so that any community leader, define community leader however you want, can pick up this book and understand not only what is the economic opportunity around this, um, and how we've done economic development wrong in the past for the sake of our communities and what we need to do differently moving forward, um, but also how do you do it? So the book is all focused on action. It's all focused on engagement. Um, and it's all focused on talking to these business owners that have never been engaged in the past. And so I actually started writing it uh, in 2019. Um, and through March through September of 2020 was when I was writing the book. Um, so obviously, us all living the, the, the pandemic of last year and uh, impacted how I was seeing all of this in a major way, even if the basis of the book is, is all of, was all of those years leading up to it. Um, and seeing the, you know, over 40% of all Black-owned businesses closed during the pandemic, right? The, the, the sheer millions of people that were out of work, the, the disparate impacts of the pandemic on different populations within our community just made the need for this to me more striking. Well, I guess first off, I should say congratulations on doing something productive over the last uh, year. Uh, I know a lot of people went in and many people started the Great American Novel in you know March or April and, and gave up on it by you know early May. So so congratulations on that. But I think that COVID sort of proved out your model in in many ways. I think that. Um, in many communities, we saw these, um, we saw we saw retailers and manufacturers both sort of pivot to try to meet the needs of the community. We saw very early on that that all kinds of companies started making, you know, face shields and hand sanitizer. You had distilleries uh, going from making alcohol to making hand sanitizer. You had all kinds of companies making uh, face masks, and then. Or, and then it became face masks and, you know, everybody was making face masks, whether they were, you know, a, a, normally a retail shop or a, 
um, you know, some kind of clothing manufacturer or what, what have you. Everybody was making all of these things and they were doing them for their local communities because in each of their local communities, they didn't have the resources that they needed to be safe. And then additionally, the communities, the community members um, looked at these small businesses and said, you know what, we're not shopping where we normally shop. We are not um, eating out at restaurants, especially where we normally eat out. And, and these businesses are suffering. We need to work together to support these local businesses. And then, and uh, you know, they, some businesses pivoted and started offering delivery, but, but neighborhoods and, and cities really got together to support their, their communities to keep them alive so that when this was all over, and as we come out of this, that many of those businesses are still here. And, you know, plainly, many of them have received, you know, we've all received different funds and, and support and all kinds of things from different, different agencies. But it's that local support, that local need to protect our communities, I think, that, that really, um, like I said, proved your model. And so coming out of this, what impact do you see um, that COVID had on our communities? And, and do you see how do you see that impacting us going forward? Are there any major changes from 2019 when you started writing the book um, to, to now based on what happened to COVID? I mean, we're in a, we're in a completely different world, right? The, the, there's the, the loss, which I think we need to acknowledge, right? We, we just passed 600,000 lives lost, 600,000 people dead because of this pandemic. Um, and I think that, um, the the families and the households impacted by that, I don't think we can even, I can't get my arms around even understanding that. Um, and I think that's, that's important to, to start with. I think that the number of businesses that, that closed down, I also, I'm going to bet we're never going to get a full count of it because the way that we, co we collect data on businesses is in fact really partial. We do a really bad job on the data side of collecting information about single person businesses. Um, and so um, we don't even know, my guess is, what that loss is and the loss of income to households based on that. Um, and then the, the jobs, both in the formal and informal economies that those support. So I think there's, we're coming out of this with that we need to acknowledge this loss. The, that loss then impacts um, the amount of vacant storefronts that we see. Um, places that were doing okay, for the most part, held on okay. Um, places that were struggling. Um, are really struggling. If anything, the pandemic has, has sort of emphasized the direction that, that, that places were going already. Um, I can't tell you how many small cities, small towns, uh, rural towns I've spoken to, their leadership, where they say, you know, we, um, you know, we had vacancies before this, and now we just have so many, we don't even know what to do. Um, and so that question, even from before the pandemic, of what is the economic reason for this downtown or this main street to exist is, is a big one. On the flip side, coming out of it, I think we have this really, really bizarre question of who gets to own that property. So um, in the small towns and in urban main streets, um, predominantly, uh, so in rural small towns and in urban um, main streets, uh, predominantly in black and brown neighborhoods, um, the local community doesn't own their storefronts. They don't own the commercial corridor. They don't own um, a spaces that the local businesses can be in. And we have a lot of um, speculators who, I don't even know if you can call them speculators, but people who are distant and own the properties and leave them vacant and neglected as a loss that they can take on their 
taxes. And so we have these neglectful property owners that are actually depressing their the surrounding property values around them. The property values, the tax rates, the sales tax all get suppressed because of these vacant properties from neglectful property owners. And that um, to me is only more glaringly uh, an issue coming out of the pandemic. Um, I think that coming out of this, we do have the acknowledgement that local is important. Um, honestly, my fear is that we also as a nation have a very short memory. So I feel like with this this newfound freedom that people have found just even in the month of June, um, people I think might have amnesia about how important investing in our, our domestic supply chain is. How important is it to invest in those maker spaces that were the epicenter of building up that face mask and face shield and all sorts of other PPEs that we needed, you know, that we need to actually invest in these spaces as part of that supply chain resilience. How much did those small businesses really save us um, as we went through this um, and getting people to continue that to make that commitment to buy local. Um, we had an amazing um, uh, spending that went to black owned businesses as the nation talked about Black Lives Matter last year. Um, are people st still spending um, with those businesses? So I think that there is a lot that we need to do to reinforce this and actually make it a part of the way we live um, and not just a, a one-time thing. So I'm both optimistic, but hesitant about all of that happening. I do think that there's a really exciting opportunity coming out of this though, because um, the American Rescue Plan funding that's going to all of our local jurisdictions is really an amazing amount of funding that is, you know, very flexible, not no strings, but there's a very a significant amount of flexibility in that funding so that local governments can really use that as a way to say, not only are we going to invest some in our local infrastructure or some of our revenue losses if we had them, but we can invest for the future. This is about the economic damage that this costs and how much can we invest in building up a more inclusive, a more equitable local economy, um, one that is going to be more resilient because it's not just going to be dependent on the service businesses that can sell within the community. It's going to invest in programming and capital and spaces for small scale manufacturing businesses that can sell local, regional and national and international if they so choose and really look at how are we bringing revenues into the community, but also how are we supporting the people of this community by the community. Excellent insights. I, that, that's good. That's, I agree with you 100%. That, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, that's why we get along so well. <laughs> that's right. Now, so I'm in Texas now, and, and they brought me to Texas uh, to recruit businesses, which you say is the, the wrong model, but we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Before that, I was in California, and I was in a, I was in a small town, a very, um, um, very, very small community. In fact, it wasn't even incorporated. It was in a, a county that had about 15,000 people, probably uh, 5,000 of them lived in this, in the, the single town in, in the area. And there idea of economic development there was to promote shopping local shop local that's what they said everything was a shop local campaign you know buy small buy local all of this and i well they they, they did run me out of town but but um, maybe that was because i didn't understand that model and i would say you know there's 15,000 people here. We we all have the money that we have. And, and if we buy and sell only from each other, 
eventually, as we spend that money around, you know, taxes are going to come out and, and, you know, additional costs are going to flow out of our community. And the truth is, if we only buy and sell from each other, we're going to, we're going to go broke eventually. We're going to, we're going to end up eating everybody. It's just, you know, it's going to spin. And so I wonder if this idea, well, let's back up. So then in economic development, we always are talking about um, primary industries, industries that create products manufacturing and send those products elsewhere so that you can have an an outside infusion of funds. In this small town that I was in in California, we had uh, tourists who were on their way to Yosemite National Park. So there were 494,000 cars full of cash driving down Main Street um, every year. And so I said, you know what, this is our cash and this is who we have to pull from. And, you know, that was a, that was a difficult sell. And, you know, um, like I said, they, they did run me out of town, but that but maybe your model sort of is the antidote to what I saw as the problem with the shop local. Would you agree with that? Is that, is that kind of what this is? Well, first shop local is great. I'm, I'm never going to say something bad about shop local. Um, your, your, your assumption about shop local assumes that there's no additional money coming into that community everywhere ever. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to put a pin in that, that balloon just for a second. Cause I can't resist. Um, but, I, but my answer is always yes. And, um, and I didn't even do a stand-up comedy training. It, it has to be yes and for our economies, right? And the problem with most places is that we're not looking local. We're not looking at um, how we do yes and. We're only looking at tourism or we're only looking at recruitment. And so um, I, in fact, don't think that recruitment is never the answer. I just think it's part of the answer as opposed to the only answer, which is what most economic development authorities do. I think that when we look at small scale manufacturing, it gives us this opportunity to um, sell local, right? And get that, that support, sell online. So we are quite literally bringing new revenue into that community. And when we put them into storefronts, we're creating a, a, a destination based on these really cool and unique businesses that by having a cool and well taken care of downtown or Main Street in a small town for yourself, you will attract the, the tourists. I mean, and I, I know you know this about me, but like, I believe that when you take care of your own main street and you create it as a place that people love to be and are proud of, the tourists will come find you, no doubt, because the experience of walking down a main street with unique local shops is something that you, you, you won't see that set of businesses anywhere else. It is unique to your community. So I think it is a yes and kind of answer. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, having small scale manufacturers that are mostly consumer facing in those storefronts means that somebody can walk down the street, hop into that shop, get that. I mean, my, fan, my one of my favorite examples is the candle maker, right? Where she has the, the set of candles on the wall, but she, you know, when people aren't in the shop or when things aren't busy, she can make the new set in her big cauldron on the side and pour it into the molds and be using that space for production and retail at the same time. Um, so that she is cost efficient for her own business. Um, she is selling in person and online and maybe even can use that same space to start doing wholesale. So all of a sudden our main street businesses are not just beholden on foot traffic. They are in fact drawing foot traffic because they're cool and unique, um, but they're bringing in multiple sources of revenue, which start making them more resilient and that local economy strong. Gotcha. I wish I had talked to you when I was still in California. I wish I'd had this book. Maybe um, you would have kept your job. You know, we, we had the same... <laughs> I would have I would have kept my job, but we you know we had the problem, and and it we had the problem of the downtown Main Street was full of retail shops. They were all selling 
you know, to trying to catch the tourists who are on their way through. And, you know, I said to them, I said, you know, I went to the small businesses and I said, you know what, here's what you need to do. We need to sell experiences. You know, um, if you're a, if you're a candle shop, you need to, you know, get the visitors to come in. And in addition to selling them candles, you need to give them an experience, allow them to, you know, participate in making a candle, show them how to make a candle. But and that was a really hard sell because they were many of them were in the business purely of, you know, selling products and they didn't want to be in this. They weren't showmen. They weren't trying to, you know, didn't want to demonstrate their skills. It was too much. But your idea of making it about put the manufacturing right there on the site um, to display it, that creates that experiential sort of experience. And I, I think that, like like you said, that probably would have saved my job. So uh, that is an excellent insight. I think that that would, you know, make everything better. So let's get back to this idea of how we're doing economic development wrong. Your your book sort of implies, and maybe implies is the wrong word. I think it I think it comes right out and says that in many cases, um, attraction is the wrong approach for small communities. So in your in your words, what are we doing wrong? Great question. Um, a lot of communities. A lot of communities are only thinking about um, bringing in the next big thing. They're thinking about the next big business that they can recruit and the tax discounts that they need to provide to get those 200 jobs. They used to be the 2000 jobs, but for the most part now it's the 200 jobs. And in a lot of cases, they're giving out millions and millions of dollars in tax incentives of all different flavors. Instead of saying, well, if we want to create 200 jobs that are never going to go anywhere, are there 20 businesses in our community where we could help each of them hire 10 people if we help them scale their business? And in a lot of cases, we've seen historically that the recruitment, um, in fact, only benefits the local job market a little bit. Something like 30% goes to the local market, if I'm remembering my stats correctly. Um, and the cost per new job is, is just astronomical in most cases. And so my point isn't that recruitment never should be part of the solution bucket. It's just that if we think about the best use of each dollar, which is the way I approach it, I believe that investing in our locally owned businesses and helping them not only be stable so that they stay in business, but potentially scale if that's what the owners are interested in is a much better bet for the community because we know that they're going to hire a local. And when we look at small scale manufacturing, these jobs are paying 50 to 100% higher salaries than retailer service jobs. So they give us an opportunity to really invest in middle income jobs, which on a national basis, we have a, we're vastly under, under, understaffed. We, we have very few middle income jobs left in the country. And so investing in this type of business um, is really a way to break cycles of poverty and to help um, households build wealth. On top of that, having a product business is uh, incredibly inclusive. We have people who make products across every demographic in our country. And so when we start from scratch and say, okay, let's figure out who is part of our small scale manufacturing business we, community, we can in fact very purposefully build a table 
that represents the demographic diversity of our community and make sure that we are, are, are benefiting all of the different populations in our community, which honestly we've never done before in our local economic development or not until recently, and in most cases still not so much, honestly. So um, it gives us an opportunity to really invest differently. And on top of that, um, I'm a big proponent of going to the business owners and the property owners where we wanna go, because to me, it's a combination of the people and the place always. It's not just about having the businesses, it's about where they're going and what other benefits we can get from having them in the right place. Um, when we talk to those business owners and the property owners, we can get a very clear sense of what their needs are, what are their barriers to success, what already works that we should just double down on, so that every dollar we invest in this is answering a specific need. It's not sort of this throwing the dart strategy of, you know, let's just recruit somebody and it's going to solve all of our woes. It's just not. And in most cases, the other part of this is the vast majority of communities are not going to win the recruitment battle. There's very few places that are going to win that. Um, and so it's just not a good strategy for most places. And there's so much amazing talent and skills in every community to be able to build up a small scale manufacturing business sector. That's excellent. That goes right to my next question, my next point. So the one thing that I did that was really successful in this small town um, in California was that we developed, we got this grant, I think it was about $10,000 and it was, uh, it was, for, it was a USDA grant. We got this to develop a made in, you know, our community program. And when we were sitting down brainstorming, it was the, you know, I was the head of the chamber of commerce. They had an economic development person and, and a couple other stakeholders were in these meetings. And I remember at the beginning, we sat down and said, let's make a list of all the local manufacturers that we can think of in the community. And so we made this list and it had maybe four businesses on it. You know, they were the ones that, that had storefronts or they had a, a facility that we knew about. And, you know, that was basically what we thought there was. And we said, okay, we're going to, let's go out and let's try to really promote this idea that we have this program and we want to bring all these businesses because there have to be other ones that we don't know about. So we, you know, we, we put an article in the newspaper and we ran, you know, things on Facebook and everywhere, everybody was talking about it. And we said, we're going to have a meeting. And so please come. And I want to say that we went from having these four local manufacturers to discovering over 200 small scale manufacturers. Most of these were people that were, you know, in the evening, they would sit at home in front of the television or at their dinner table, and they would, you know, be crafting something that they were then selling online or they were selling at local craft shows or, um, you know, they were wanting to start something or, or whatever. But all of these businesses sort of popped up and we, we built this website. And we put them on the website, gave them all pretty, you know, gra uh, photos of their products and, you know, told where in town you could buy them and, and where they were manufactured and had a little bit of the story. And it, the, the response from the community was absolutely overwhelming because nobody knew that any of these businesses existed. You know, I was the head of the Chamber of Commerce there and none of these businesses were members of the Chamber of Commerce. None of these businesses you know, we're on anyone's radar and suddenly overnight we had this great thing and it made everybody feel great. And suddenly everybody, you know, had new places to shop and, um, you know, take advantage of and, and cooperate and, and market and do all these things. And I, 
the one thing about it is that it seemed to me like it was just a whole bunch of meetings. Like, let's get all these uh, producers together and get them in a room and then they'll talk and, you know, maybe something concrete will come out of it. But, you know, kind of had to steer the this sort of ship of, of cats uh, to mix the metaphors, you know, but they, they all like to get together and talk and it was and. And it seemed like that's what they got out of it. And, and I was really glad to read in your book that, that that's kind of what it sounds like. Getting all those people in the room together to, to communicate um, is, is key. So was my experience normal? Was that, is that what it's like? Is that really what it is? I mean, I can tell you I've worked in communities down to 200 people, you know, and all the way up to, to really, really big, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of people. Um, there are small scale manufacturers everywhere, right? And and your experience of finding them, that's why I call them the hidden gems. It's because they're there. Um, and when you find them, people are so excited to share their skill with you and they're just bursting with pride. And when you can tap into that as part of your local economic development strategy, it's gold. I mean, it really is gold for a whole host of different reasons that we just talked about. Um, so I, I think it's the outreach that you did sounds like it was super effective, so congratulations. Um, it's in fact, in, in Recast Your City, my book, that list building is step two of five. So um, having those people be able to meet each other is an essential piece because there's really interesting research that came out of um, Louisiana after Katrina that showed that the business owners that had strong ties, personal ties to other business owners were something like twice as likely to survive the catastrophe. And so having that personal connection to other business owners actually has a meaningful impact on their business long-term. And so that's an essential step in and of itself. On top of that, once you have them identified, you can do work like what we have in the book, Recast Your City, because part of what we show people how to do is how do you then go out and talk to them and get information from them about what they need to succeed? Questions like, um, you know, what's most important for your, for your business in the next year? What's best about having your business here? And what's hardest? And those three simple questions, among many others that we provide, um, really lets you start hearing what's going on on the inside of their business so that you can then not just have lovely conversations and let people connect to each other, but figure out specific economic development, business development, real estate development tactics that you can act on to make a difference for these businesses over time. That's good. I think the other thing that you touched on in the book is to have these, um, and, and was my experience as well, was you need these quick, fast, um, early wins. The program needs to, you need to bring everybody together and there needs to be something immediate. What are, what are some things that um, you would recommend doing you know, right away, what are, what are some early easy wins that can get the momentum building? So you're not going to like this answer because the answer is it depends. <laughs> um, so I, I do believe in, in, in short-term wins and, and I focus predominantly in all of my work on helping communities identify actions they can take in the next three to 12 months. And I think that's even more so important now coming out of the pandemic because we have so much need. We have business owners and property owners that in, are in such dire straits because of, of what's happened over the last year, almost year and a half now, that we have to find ways to help now. Um, what we do with communities is help them identify those small scale manufacturing business owners and property owners interview them in a very specific way to collect this information about what's missing and what's working. And then we identify um, both short-term wins 
that are that they can take on that are specific to the needs of the community um, while building up to maybe some bigger or harder stuff. I'll give you a couple of examples from communities. So um, our work with Bellflower, California, which is a, a smaller town in the county of, of in Los Angeles County, um, so in a big metro area, um, identified that they could move their farmer's market into the middle of downtown, right? Draw more people onto Main Street, but then they could add vendors that were artisans to the farmer's market that was already drawing people. So that combination action, which they're currently working on, right? They haven't implemented that yet because we just finished with working with them a couple months ago. Um, that kind of step makes the businesses not only have more business opportunity, but be more visible within the community. Like you were talking about with your um, with your effort in the small town, all of a sudden people will see that there are all these small scale manufacturing businesses. So finding ways to add your existing small scale manufacturers, especially home-based ones, to be vendors at local events that are already going on is a phenomenal short-term win. Something like the website that you described, a made-in website, a destination so that people can find it, a way to brand them to be a part of it, is a big part of what Columbia, Missouri did um, when we worked with their community improvement district called The Loop. Um, they uh, worked with us on all of these pieces and then decided that they wanted the corridor of, of The Loop, this improvement district, to really be not only branded for it, but really be an epicenter for small-scale manufacturing businesses as part of its future. And so the brand of the whole area um, started to take on the need, not only the brand of small-scale manufacturing, but the needs of small-scale manufacturing um, and, and bringing these businesses together. And one of their short-term actions, which wouldn't be so easy in a lot of other places, but they could get it done, was they launched a commercial shared kitchen because they realized that they needed a mission-driven commercial shared kitchen specifically to make sure they were benefiting black and Latino owned businesses in the community that were home-based, but couldn't expand beyond that because there wasn't any space for them. So there's a wide range of, act of potential activities within a community. And it really is a lot of times dependent on what are those things that are already working that we can just build on. And that's an important part of our conversation every time. The, I think the final question is, well, generally it would be who, who should read this book? Who, who should buy this book? But we already know the answer to that. The answer is that community leaders and economic developers should read this book. But in your mind, these community leaders, these people that can you know, help push the community forward or, or pull the community forward, who, you know, what are some examples of ones that aren't people that we would normally think of as driving economic development in the community? In, in your experience, who have you, who have you worked with? So our community leaders are, are really an amazingly broad swath of people at this point. And, and I love that about the work. Um, so this might be a Main Street director or a Downtown Development Authority director. It could be a city mayor, a county executive, an economic development director or a planning director, right, from a, from a jurisdiction perspective. Um, but we also have um, nonprofit organizations. We have CDFIs. We have revolving loan funds. We have all sorts of different people that are engaging in how do we support small businesses in our community? And if anything, even more so now coming out of the pandemic, um, we have faith leaders that are getting involved in this and create faith communities that are creating um, micro business grants, right? We're, we're seeing this amazing engagement happening in some communities. Um, and, and to me, that means that, you know, when I think about community leader as a definition, it's really anybody who cares about um, having thriving small businesses in their community and having thriving places that are home to those small businesses. I think that that makes perfect sense. Um, I, I was really glad that 
to hear that, um, you know, you, you made that broader and you made that, you know, wider. It's almost inclusive of everyone in the community because the truth of the matter is who doesn't want to live in a good, you know, in a great place? Who doesn't want, you know, their local business um, community to be stronger and more resilient? Um, you know, whether they're, you know, conventional economic development organizations or chambers of commerce or, or downtown development districts, or like you said, um, nonprofits or even um, you know, faith groups and, and churches. You know, I've seen a number of those sort of play out. And, you know, your book is an excellent resource for them. And, and like I mentioned earlier, when we were offline, you know, I know a number of people that will benefit um, from your book. So I really appreciate you coming on uh, the Econ Dev Show today. And I really appreciate you writing this book. I'm going to share it with all kinds of people. Well, thank you very much. It's really always fun for me to get to talk about it. The book is truly a labor of love. It even has princess bride jokes in it, if you if you notice. Um, and so it is, um, the book is, is really me being able to uh, honestly have the honor of having a conversation with a lot of people at once. And so I'm hoping that um, it gives a lot of people the opportunity to understand just what, how much is possible um, and just um, really working with the people who can make implementation, make, take action um, and make these, these things happen in our community now. Well, Lana, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you very much. Uh, it's been my pleasure today. Thank you, Dan. And that's it. Thank you for listening all the way through. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Alana. If you'd like to get your own copy of the book Recast Your City, you can do so at Amazon or at islandpress.org. I've included links to both in the show notes of this episode. Thank you again for listening. I'm Dane Carlson. This has been the Econ Dev Show, and I hope to talk to you again soon. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 